What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Let's Talk Knicks podcast. I am your host, Maxwell Ogden, and for those who don't know me, I am the site expert over at Daily Knicks on the Fan Sided Network. If you can, please give us a follow on Twitter over at Daily Knicks FS. You can follow me at Maxwell Ogden, and of course, you can follow this podcast at Talk NYK Podcast. Now, Last night was probably the worst Knicks loss that I've personally watched in my 27 years of fandom and my now four years of covering this team. I'm kind of at a loss for words. It wasn't, you know, it's not bad that you lose a double overtime game, okay? These things happen. And the fact that you went to double overtime is a sign that it was a great game that either team could have won. It wasn't the fact that you lost to the Chicago Bulls just at face value and their record is what it is. It's not even the fact that you've now lost three straight home games. It's the fact that This is the third time in a span of one month, days, not calendar, that you've lost to the same team, and it's a team that will not even be mentioned in the postseason picture from here on out. With half the season to go, they are already basically eliminated from the playoffs. Now, maybe I'll be shut up. Maybe they'll come back and they'll make the playoffs and they'll go on some more ridiculous win streaks. And who knows? To credit the Chicago Bulls, that team works hard. They work hard. They chase down the loose balls that you refuse to. They set the screens that you refuse to. They move the ball well. They shoot lights out from three. But to lose three times in one month to a team that won't even be in the postseason discussion. Look, Jarrett Jack, who, by the way, had a triple-double last night, who, by the way, saved the Knicks at the end of the fourth quarter by putting the team on his back when nobody else would even dare to shoot, really. He came out and he said exactly what the truth is. This team has an identity problem. They go out there, and it starts going well for them, and all right, it's going well for us, and then they start to coast. All right, we have a lead, and then they start to coast. For the third straight game against this team, the New York Knicks entered the fourth quarter with a lead and found a way to lose. The Knicks shot 13 of 21 from the free throw line. Something tells me, heck, you make one of those free throws, you might end up winning this game. But beyond the stats, the stats don't matter. What matters is the fact that this team consistently does the same thing. And they're young, okay? If we're diagnosing why they do this, it's pretty damn simple. This is a young team. This is an inexperienced team. They make these kind of mistakes. But the New York Knicks continue to do the same thing. They get a lead, they get comfortable, they blow it. 
They get a lead. They get comfortable. They blow it. Now, I'm not sitting here saying we should fire anybody. Enough of this instant reaction, instant gratification BS. Every fan who's talking about this is why the New York Knicks are exactly where they are right now. Because all this organization has done over the past 16 years is react to the first sign of failure and make crass and rash decisions. How about we actually let a season play out for once? Oh man, why are the Knicks so bad? They need this guy. They need this guy. They don't need anybody that they don't have. What they need to do is build this current core, build around this current core, and then continue to add to it, I don't know, when you can organically add to it like the draft and free agency. Don't go swing for a damn trade. The only trade that the Knicks should make this year is for draft picks. Look around you. Look around you. The Boston Celtics were way below 500 with Brad Stevens, and then they traded for Isaiah Thomas. And they turned it around. But you know what the thing is about the Boston Celtics? Before they made that trade that everybody's going to point to, they trusted Brad Stevens enough to say, there's no chance in hell that we are trading this guy, that we're firing this guy, that we're looking for somebody else. Not a chance in hell. And I'm not saying Jeff Hornacek is Brad Stevens. I'm just saying, if you want to get a good coach to come here, by the way, there's no draft for coaches. If a coach wants to come here, he will, or she will. And if they don't want to come here, they won't. Period. And if you want a coach to come here, I don't know, maybe show them that they might have a little bit of leeway. Maybe show them that they don't have to turn this team around overnight just to keep their job. Because I'm not sure if you've been paying attention, but since they fired Mike D'Antoni in 2012, six years ago, they've had four coaches. That includes Kurt Rambis. You want to cut that in half? Fine. The Knicks have a new coach every two years. And one of the coaches that they fired, Mike Woodson, had a record that was 30 games above 500. And not only did he fire them, but the players quit on him. And we all know they quit on him. We just want to rewrite narratives because of who we like and don't like. This is a guy that went 18-6. and six. In 2011-12. 18 and 6 in 2011-12. Why is that significant? Because Mike D'Antoni had gone 18 and 24. This is a guy who led the Knicks to their single best season since the 1990s. 54 wins. Got them to the second round of the playoffs for the first time in over a decade. Fired the next year because the players quit on him. And there was there's no turning back once the players quit on you. Sucks, but it's true. And when you have a transition from one front office regime to the next, ooh, no. No, no, no. That does not work. It's not how this works. It's just not how it works. I mean, Lenny Wilkins, one year with the Knicks. Larry Brown, one year with the Knicks. John McLeod, one year with the Knicks. And don't get me wrong. I get some of these guys, you know, didn't work out. Some of these guys' writing was on the wall, Larry Brown. But 
This is the reputation that the New York Knicks have now. Don Nelson, one year with the Knicks. And yeah, sure, John McLeod led to Pat Riley. And Don Nelson led to Jeff Van Gundy. But this one year and it's over thing, and let's be real, last year was not a real year for Jeff Hornacek. Last year was, who knows what we call it. So this is basically Jeff Hornacek's first year being the head coach of the New York Knicks. But if you look at it, everybody who comes here gets one or two years and they're out. One or two years and they're out. There is no chance for a coach to come to New York and build something sustainable because we want to fire them at the first sight of inconsistency. The New York Knicks right now, I don't think people process this. Coming into this season, people were projecting the Knicks to win 32 or fewer games. They're currently on pace to win 38, so they're currently on pace to do better than that. But then people go, but no, I don't want to win 38 games. I want to be in the draft lottery. I want to get a draft pick. So the Knicks start to lose games, get closer to getting a lottery pick, and everybody goes, wow, we're losing? Let's fire this guy. What the hell do you want? You know the biggest problem that James Dolan has as the owner is that he listens to the fans and he does every single thing that they say instead of actually having a mind of his own for the organization. Now he's put and empowered Scott Perry and Steve Mills to have that mind of their own, to block out what the fans say, because let's be real, it's not a Knicks fan thing. This is an every fan base and every, every single sport thing. Where fans think that they know what's best for the team, so they say every little thing that comes to mind, and now that they actually have a platform like Twitter or writing articles, it's easily seen. The organizations that do exactly what the fans want them to do, they tend to fail. Not because we're stupid. I'm not saying any fan out there is stupid. I'm just saying, when we say things in the heat of the moment, chances are they're not right. You could apply that to anything in life. Say something in the heat of the moment, there's a good chance that it's not right. It might be. Certainly possible. It's also possible it won't be, and it's just you reacting to something in anger. Now, the title of this episode is Making Sense of the Madness, so what I'm trying to make sense of is this. Why would we fire a guy 41 games through the season? Is he establishing bad tendencies? Well, some, yeah, sure, some. But are the Knicks not one of the top 15 defensive teams in the NBA? Oh, they can't defend the three. No, they can't defend the three. Quite frankly, they don't have the athletes on the perimeter to defend the three. And more than anything, what they're really going to have to look at this summer is Christoph Porzingis is of his greatest value to this team when he's in the paint on defense. When you have a 7-3 body around the basket, it deters people from driving the lane. And even last night, four blocks, including the block that saved the game. I mean, that's what frustrated us most, if we're being honest. It's the fact that they came back at the end of the fourth quarter, tied it, sent it to overtime. Oh my God, I can't believe this. It's the fact that Laurie Markkinen had a breakaway layup or dunk opportunity, and KP comes from nowhere to block it and save the game. It's the fact that at the end of the first overtime, KP hits the buzzer-beating dunk, 
and sends it to the second overtime. So we're like, okay, we've saved the game. Who knows how many times? So we have to win. It's a destiny thing now. It doesn't happen. So sure, I get it. I get why people are frustrated with Jeff Hornacek. I get why people think, okay, you know what? We're developing some bad tendencies in crunch time. I get it. I do. But how about, how about we give him a full season to work through all of that and see if maybe he can learn too? You know, coaches aren't some invincible force. They're not some perfect group of people who get every decision right. Just like players, it takes time for coaches to figure out their identity, to figure out what they're supposed to do in those situations. Now look, if at the end of the season, after 82 games, the New York Knicks are still entering the fourth quarter with leads and blowing it over and over and over again, sure, you might want to look into replacing the coach or at least talking to the coach and going, hey, you need to get these fourth quarter situations right because now you're developing a losing mentality. But have you ever watched an inexperienced basketball team in the NBA? Have you ever taken the time to watch one of those developing and quote-unquote promising basketball teams in the NBA? You know what they do? They blow leads in the fourth quarter. This is what happens when you're building around a 22-year-old franchise player. This is what happens when your second franchise building block and pillar is a 19-year-old point guard. Is that fair? No. Is that always fun? No. But the point is, you want Kristaps Porzingis to take these punches on the chin right now. Because ideally, when you're a legitimate playoff team and you get to the playoffs, he's ready because he's experienced this frustration. He's done seemingly everything in his power. He's hit the big three to start the overtime and gone, yeah, here we go. And then found out, oh man, my shot isn't falling after that. I thought I'd be in rhythm. Well, here's the thing. When you're on dead legs and you've played 40 plus minutes... There isn't much of a rhythm to establish. It's about will. And the Knicks are going to learn this. Whether it's with Hornacek or not, they will learn this. They have too many competitors. I mean, just look at those two guys, Porzingis and Nilikina. You know what you can see when you look in their eyes? You know what you can see when you listen to them talk and you watch them speak about their future? They want it. There are a lot of play. Look. People don't believe this. You go to your job today. Look around your job. You're going to have a lot of people in there who are phoning it in because they want that paycheck. You're going to have a lot of people who are there that are phoning it in because their parents told them this is the right job for you. But it's not what they want to do. Look, some people are just born to be six foot ten and don't want to be there. I'm not saying that's anybody on the Knicks. I'm just saying there are a lot of people who are born who are born that big, who are that athletic, who are forced into the gym when they're in high school and middle school and AAU and all that, and told this is what you're gonna do, you're gonna make millions of dollars. And either A, they go, Millions of dollars sounds nice. B, they go, I love this sport, or C, they go, I don't really want to do this, but everybody's telling me to do it. Look at Larry Sanders. You think Larry Sanders is the only player in the NBA who decided one day, you know, I don't really want to do this, so I'm going to walk away. He might be one of the only ones who actually walked away, at least during a contract, but he's not the only one. There are people who want to do other things, 
but basketball is a means to an end for them. Some of them just don't want to continue playing. My point is this. It's hard to find players like KP and Frank who really, really want it. That doesn't mean they're going to be guaranteed superstars. That doesn't mean that they're going to be all NBA guys one day. That doesn't mean they're going to win championships. Nothing is guaranteed on that end. You still have to put the work in. All I'm saying is they want it. KP didn't shy away from the moment. Guy was shooting at will. Shots just weren't falling. It happens. And he still had a good game, by the way. It's just, you know, these are the unfortunate breaks when you're a rebuilding team. You know, sure, Courtney Lee could have taken all those shots at the end of the game. And let's be honest, over the past two years, we've learned Courtney Lee is pretty damn clutch. Ennis Cantor could have been on the floor going to the post and doing all that. But is that what you're going to be doing three, four, five years from now when you're in the playoffs? No. You're going to be going through Kristaps Porzingis. You're going to be going through Frank Nielikina. And the guy who doesn't get mentioned, you're going to be going through Tim Hardaway Jr. And that's the reason why. I've said this on Twitter. I've said this on here. I don't know. When people ask, what do you make of this team? I don't know. You know. Everybody looks at it like, okay, you just subtract a talent. Man, they missed that talent. That's not how this is going. The New York Knicks have completely changed the way they play because of the fact that Tim Hardaway Jr. is not there. Let's be honest about three very important things. Three-point shooting, transition, and isolation offense that isn't Kristaps Porzingis or Michael Beasley. And look, I love Michael Beasley. He's become a fan favorite. He's a blast to watch. The man can get buckets. WB walking bucket. That's what he wants to be called. That's what he is. But the guy's on a one-year deal. He's 29 years old. Chances are, if the Knicks don't make the playoffs this year, and he keeps playing as well as he's played this year, and he has played very well, probably going to sign with a contender and since you're building around a 22 year old a 29 year old may not have as much long-term value as a 25 year old shooting guard like Tim Hardaway Jr. who while Kristaps Porzingis enters his prime will still be in his prime maybe he'll be on the back end of it but he'll still be in it my point is this three-point shooting Everybody talks about the fact that the New York Knicks are dead last in the NBA in three-point field goals made per game. That is true. But you don't think that they would shoot more threes and make more threes if they had the guy who leads the team in threes? Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this team won't shoot more. But I'll tell you what, when they need a three, having the best three-point shooter on your team in terms of volume... That helps. Certainly helps. So I'm not going to sit here and say this team's a lost cause when we're watching this team and it's not in its full form. I can't fire a guy for coaching the way he's coaching with a team that's missing one of the highest paid players on the roster and one of the highest usage players on the roster. I mean, look, the Knicks were making more than eight threes a game. I know it's still not a great average. By all means, it's not. 
but they were making more than eight threes a game when Hardaway played. They're shooting less and making less because they're number one three-point specialist because KP's their best three-point shooter. We all know that. He's their three-point shooter. And Doug McDermott's probably a better shooter than Tim Hardaway Jr. But in terms of the guy who can not only work without the ball to get open, but create his own shot, that's Tim Hardaway Jr. That segues into isolation. That also segues into transition. Those pull-up threes in transition aren't great shots, but when they go, that sets this entire arena ablaze. That swings momentum on the road. The New York Knicks are a better team when Tim Hardaway Jr. is there, not only because he's a better talent, but because they play a better style. But they can't just replace Tim Hardaway Jr. Tim Hardaway Jr. is probably the most athletic finisher on this team. So you can get him out in transition, and he can outrun the defense and get to the rim for an easy and efficient two. Now, are you going to set records for transition buckets? No, but you miss the number one guy at getting out in transition and getting them. You miss the fact that he has the three-point shooting ability where he can fake going to the basket, and that either opens up an opportunity for the other player he's running with or creates an opportunity to shoot a three. You miss him in many ways. At the end of games in isolation, when you need somebody to go and get a bucket, love Michael Beasley, man, I do. But having a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr. just gives you an advantage. Doesn't mean he's a better scorer than Beasley. It just means you have the opportunity to establish the post. You have the opportunity to establish the pick and roll. You have the opportunity to do things that don't even require Tim Hardaway Jr. to touch the ball because of the threat of his jump shot. Look, Michael Beasley's working hard to get that jump shot better so he can help fill that void. Credit to him. But he's still not the same type of shooter as Tim Hardaway Jr. Beasley's making 0.43s per game. Think about that. An automatic scorer shooting like that. And to his credit, he's made one, I mean, really what? His past four appearances, I think. Yeah, past four appearances, he's made a three. But he's attempted no more than two. That's the point. Sometimes people overrate efficiency. Sometimes it does help for people to shoot a high volume. The reason is when that guy that you expect to shoot is shooting, whether he makes it or not, you have to hold him. You have to hold yourself accountable as a defender to get out on him because you know there's a chance, hey, he's good enough to make that. More than anything, how are you supposed to establish the post? Think about this. Ennis Cantor. We all know that's his game, going to the post. And to his credit, you know, he's a look, he's a power finisher. That's his game. He is a power post player, so he doesn't need much spacing because he just puts his shoulder into you, gets into the lane, and boom, buckets. But KP, he's a finesse guy. And KP is one of the best post players in the NBA, despite what some people say. You look at what's going on, and you look past your biases and what you think is happening and what's really going on, look at that. KP is one of the top five post players in the NBA. He's number three in the league right now in points via post-ups per game. Shooting better in terms of percentage than Blake Griffin, Mark Gasol. But his efficiency has come down for a very simple reason. 
it's not just that people are hitting him on the elbow and he needs to make quicker reactions and quicker decisions. He's acknowledged that's true. But it's a whole lot easier to bring that double team when the team you're facing is without their number one three-point shooter in terms of perimeter guys. What, what does Tim Hardaway Jr. do? Tim Hardaway Jr.'s mere presence gives Kristaps Porzingis the option to pass out of the post and hit a shooter. What does that do? What that does is it makes it so it's a lot harder to bring that double team because you don't want to leave that guy open. Is KB the most willing passer out of the post? No, even he has said that. But he is working to be better at it. He is trying. And it's a lot easier to try to do that when you have someone to actually get it out to. And look, I love McDermott. I'm a big fan of Courtney Lee. But Timmy is just different. Because it's not just that you can get him the ball and he'll pop that J. It's you can get him the ball... And they know, well, we can't sag too much off of him because he will attack our closeout. He will drive the lane, he will get to the rim, and he'll finish. That not only increases the efficiency of your post play, but it increases the efficiency of your three-point shooting, and it increases the efficiency of you getting to the free throw line. The New York Knicks simply play the game entirely different when they have Tim Hardaway Jr. And that's why I sit here and I say, I'm frustrated. I'm pissed off. I'm tired of seeing this team blow fourth quarter leads to teams that they're better than. But I also acknowledge the fact that when Tim Hardaway Jr. was playing, whoa, whoa, not revisionist history. How about we don't forget about this? When he was playing, the New York Knicks were getting praised as one of the best fourth quarter teams in the NBA. That doesn't mean he's going to come back and it's automatically going to go to that. It simply means, well, you know what? When you play half the season without that guy, they've now played 20 games without not only the number two score on the team, but the number one guy in three-point field goals made, number three in assists, and a top five rebounder on the team, your best transition threat, your be- amongst the perimeter guys, meaning not KP, your best guy at breaking people down off the bounce in a diverse way, because look, Beasley is the man. But he's going to the basket. And even though it's tough to stop him, when you have options like you have with Hardaway, it makes it easier for your team. Because, look, Hardaway is, maybe he's not an all-star. Maybe he's not what you want him to be for that contract, which basically is paying him to be what he is. But the reality is, you run a completely different system when you have him on the court. So I'm sorry if I didn't make sense of the madness here. I'm sorry if this was even more madness and I was all over the place. But my scattered thoughts are this. Don't keep firing coaches at the first sign of inconsistency. Give him a full season without Phil Jackson. If for nothing else, for your reputation. That's what Scott Perry has talked about, repairing the reputation. And if you're going to do that, that includes not only the players, but you have to have stability at coach. That head coach position. You have to have stability. Because if you want to replace Jeff Hornacek, whoever you are, you're going to have a hard time selling this job to a great coach when that great coach goes, so basically I have half a season to get this right. Or else all of you are going to turn on me. If you want to evaluate this Knicks team, go ahead and do it. But we have to include the context. And that context is simply... This team is playing without a player who completely changes the strategy.
I don't know what the rest of the season will hold. I'm closer and closer to the belief that this team just needs to say, you know what, trade these veterans, get some draft picks. Let's do this full rebuild. Boom. But you know what? I'm not going to blow it up. I'm not going to make rash decisions. If we're going to trade veterans, let's get the best possible deal. If we're going to replace the coach, let's think about our reputation. If we're going to change the system, let's think about the guy who's coming back who's going to change the way we play in the first place. Strategize. Think this out. Don't rush into decisions or else you're just repeating everything that's happened over the past 16 years.